Man, it's crazy to believe that it is 2016 already. Um, it, it seems like just yesterday it was 2015, and now it's 2016. Uh, and, and it got here faster than I thought it would. I, I got to be honest, so I really love the fresh start of a new year. Um, to me, I love fresh starts. I love the, the opportunity to kind of get uh, a new vantage point on life and just kind of reset my priorities and my goals. In fact, I feel that way on Mondays. Like, I like Monday. Do you guys, does anybody, like, hate Mondays? Anybody, does anybody, like, like Mondays? Yes, you're kind of like, I don't care. I, uh, I really like Mondays because on Monday, I feel like I can kind of get, get a, a running start at the next week and get a fresh start. It's just not the same on Wednesday. You know, if I, if I want to just kind of restart some goals or maybe it's my workout routine or my personal, like, spiritual stuff I'm trying to do or friendships and things like that, whatever, I, Wednesday's not the same. Monday's that fresh start. And so I feel like January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd, these first few days of a new year are vital for me, at least, to feel like I can have a fresh start at things. Now, the reality is we all realize there's nothing special about the day, is there? I mean, it's not like magically on January 1st, all of our problems go away and we get a fresh slate. Because honestly, sometimes it just makes it worse. We just realize like, oh, man, how deep am I in debt now? Or how bad is this relationship? Or how bad is this problem? But, but the, the, the idea that there's a chance to restart is so good for us mentally. But it's not the day. It's not Monday, it's not January 1st, it's what we do with the rest of the time that follows that really makes a difference, right? That's why this morning uh, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series that I think will approach and tackle a subject, a topic, that if we can get kind of the scope and the answer to this subject, this topic, this question, it can dramatically impact, in fact, transform for the good our lives, not only over the rest of this year, but for the rest of our lives. And here's the question. It's the one that's on the screen. The question is, what happens when we pray? What does happen when we pray? I remember as a kid, it was Christmas Eve, I believe, and I was probably six or seven years old. And uh, I remember my parents used to pray with me at bedtime. And so I remember praying at bedtime and I prayed, dear God, Please let it snow tomorrow, because <laughs> you're six years old, and it's Christmas, and you won't snow, because it's on all the movies. And I'm like, Let's, please let it snow, and the craziest thing happened. That night, it snowed. We woke up. I'm from North Carolina. You recognize this is a strange thing, right? Sometime back in the early to mid-late 80s, if you remember that, that was when it was. It was snow on Christmas Day. And I remember not only was everybody waking up at Grandma's house and we were wigging out because there was snow on the ground, but everybody was going and talking about, but you know, Chris prayed for snow. Chris prayed for snow. It was so cute. He prayed for snow. Look at his little cute faith. And I, I remember thinking, whoa, like I've unlocked a superpower. I could control the weather with my thoughts. What's next? Maybe we'll fly at 4th of July. I don't know. But like, what I learned, though, is as, as cool as that was, as cool, as cool of a little uh, ego boost for my faith that might have been as a little, little kid, as I grew up, I realized you don't always get snow when you pray for snow, right? You don't always get uh, exactly what you ask for. Some of you are praying for sunscreen this year at Christmas. Like, you don't always get exactly what you ask for, and especially when it comes to the more important things in life, we realize that sometimes when we pray, things don't go exactly like we hoped they would. In fact, that's one of the things that I believe has turned some people away from God and from church and from Christianity because something big happened in their life and they went to God about it and they prayed about it and it seemed like it didn't work. You feeling me? You've been there. I've been there. I've prayed for things and they just didn't happen the way that I thought they should. That's one of the big questions and ideas that I want to address over the course of the next three weeks. 
But I wonder what you believe about prayer. What do you think about prayer? Do you think prayer works? Do you think that it uh, actually makes a difference in the world? Do you think that because someone prays, something happens in this world? Like, do you believe that maybe if you get on your knees and you pray to God, something could happen to alter the course of someone's life or perhaps the course of human history? It's a pretty big thought, right? Do you believe that if I pray for something hard enough and in the right way and whatever the rules are about prayer, it, that something was going to happen, but because I prayed, it didn't happen? I don't know what you think about that. Let it settle in. I really chew on that. There's a lot of different ways we could answer those questions. Uh, we, we could look at a lot of different life experiences. We could talk to different people, get their opinions. At Venture Church, the thing that we love to do is look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And when it comes to those questions that I just asked, and you look at the Bible, it does answer those questions. And actually, respectively, here are, here are the, the answers to those questions according to stories from the Bible. Yes, 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 yes. God does answer prayer. God does hear when we call out to him. God does say if one person is praying about something, it could alter things on this earth. It could alter the course of someone's life. It could alter the course of human history. Yes, it is possible that something was going to happen, but because someone prayed, it did not. Yes. But I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if that's something that you've really chewed on. And so what I want to do this morning is take some time to go through some of those stories from the Bible to begin with and show why the answers are yes, 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 yes. And then over the course of this three weeks, to not only see what the Bible says has happened, but to see what God says can happen in our lives. What if we prayed? What if we prayed? Let's tell a couple of those stories. Uh, you might be familiar with a guy named Abraham. Abraham is, is one of the more popular characters in the Bible. Even if you didn't grow up knowing about the Bible, you might have heard his name. If you don't know his story, when we first meet Abraham in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that's the name of the first book of the Bible, we meet this very old man. He's close to 100 years old. And an important detail of his life is that he had no children. He and his wife had no biological children, and his wife was way past childbearing age. So this is what Abraham does, one part of his story. Abraham goes to God and he prays. And he says, God, please give me a child, a son to carry on my name. If you know the story of Abraham, you realize that, that is a crucial, pivotal point in the whole story of the Bible. That God does eventually show up to Abraham and say, yes, I'm going to bless you with a son. And not only am I going to give you a son, but he's going to be a blessing to the entire world. It sets into motion all of the course of events that lead to the nation of Israel and eventually to the birth of Jesus that we just celebrated at Christmas. Why? Because Abraham prayed. That's the first book of the Bible. And that's one of the biggest stories of the first book of the Bible. Fast forward to the second book of the Bible. Now this son that Abraham has, has has grown into a family, and that family has grown into a nation, and we are now hundreds of years beyond that initial prayer. And there are like a million people that are offspring of Abraham. That's pretty incredible to think about. Just think about where your family line will be in 400, 500 years. Maybe a million people. That's crazy, right? So we find Abraham's offspring. They're now called a nation, and they're the nation of Israel. And they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. So they're in Egypt. There's about a million of them. They're in slavery, and they don't like it. If you can imagine being slaves, it's not fun. So the Bible says they cried out to God. And as they're crying out to God, the Bible says, and God heard their cries for help. So God goes and he visits this guy named Moses. 
And he goes to Moses. Moses, he's got a cool, awesome story. You should totally check it out. But it's what you need to know about Moses. Moses was in a perfect position because of the relationships he had and the, uh, the lifestyle he had lived in, in, earlier in his life. That when God goes to him, he says to Moses, Moses, I need you to go into Egypt. And I need you to free, I need you to emancipate the slaves that are there. And so he does. He goes in and he frees the slaves. Why? Why is it even possible? God does some miracles. It's amazing. But why is it possible? Because some people prayed to God. And it altered the course not only of their life but of human history. If that's not enough for you, we continue the story of Moses. And and after the slaves are released, you can imagine an entire nation losing all of their slave labor. Immediately, people begin to go, wait a second. This is a bad idea. we got to go get them back. And so the Egyptian army rallies together, and they begin to pursue the, uh, the Israelites who are now leaving. They're this huge caravan of people. The Israelites are walking towards what's called the Red Sea. It's still there today. You can look it up on a map. And they're on their way to the Red Sea, and they're, they're kind of coming up close to it. And behind them is the Egyptian army. Now, the Israelites go to Moses, their leader, and they say, Ah, Moses. They do this a lot, by the way. Like, if you read the story of the Israelites, they do this a lot. Oh, Moses, why don't you bring us out here? We're going to die. We're going to die. The Egyptians are coming. We're going to die. And Moses is like, yeah, we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. We've got an army pursuing us. We've got an ocean in front of us. What are we going to do? What can you do? Build a bridge? Don't have time. Think, think. He walks to the edge of the water, and he begins to pray. Lord, you delivered us from Egypt. Deliver us from the army. And the Bible says... That God calls a strong wind to come up. And the wind comes and it begins to blow and separate the water. I believe this literally happened, by the way. If you think I'm crazy, I just want you to know. I believe this literally happened. To a point where the land underneath the sea is dry enough for the entire Israelite nation to walk across on dry land. And God, not to be outdone by anybody else's stunt, says, wait till the Egyptian army gets in the middle of the ocean and the Israelites are completely across and he closes the water in on them and defeats the Egyptian army. Boom, just like that. Why? One of the most crazy events ever happened in history. How did it happen? God allowed it because somebody prayed. They get to the other side of the water. you got a million people. They need to drink. It's very important. And the only water source they could find is what they called bitter. I don't know exactly what that means, but what it means is it was undrinkable. And so Moses, again, goes to God in prayer. God, please give us a water source. And God does a pretty incredible thing. He says, hey, Moses, over there's a piece of wood. See that piece of wood? I can imagine being Moses like, yeah, I see the wood. You throw that wood in the water, it'll fix the problem. Moses says, huh, okay. He goes and he picks up the wood, he throws it in the water, and by a miracle of God, the water becomes pure and able to drink again. Again, this is a tall tale. It's crazy to think about some of the things God does. But the more and more you read through the stories of the Old Testament and you see them stacking on top of one another and you see God's promises being fulfilled, you, re- you realize Maybe this is possible. If there is a God that could create the entire universe, if there is the God who who could cause life to come into being, would it be possible that when somebody prays, he can show up with exactly what they need? We can go on and on and on through the Bible and find these stories. Fast forward several more hundred years, we meet this guy named Elijah. Elijah is a prophet. You can read all about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. I completely recommend that you go and you read Elijah's story from 1 Kings. It's, he's one of the more prolific and awesome stories in the Old Testament of the Bible. But as we look at the story of Elijah, we find him at one point uh, on top of this mountain. The mountain was called Mount Carmel. Now, 
that's not a topping you put on top of ice cream that sounds delicious. It's not a mountain of caramel, or however you pronounce it. It's a mountain called Mount Carmel, and he's up there, one man, and he's a prophet of God. And the other people up there are 450 prophets of a demon called Baal. Some people call him Baal. And so you've got Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. And they're kind of having this altercation over whose God is the most powerful, whose God is real. And so they're going back and forth about it, and Moses says, stop, here's what we're going to do. We're going to settle this once and for all. We're both going to ask something of our God, and we're going to see which God actually delivers. We're going we're to go to our God in the same way, and we're going to see who actually delivers. What do you think Elijah chose to do? Elijah chose to pray. And he goes to God and he says, God, all these people don't believe in you. They don't think that you're powerful. They don't think that you're able. They don't think that you're mighty. God, will you please show up today? The prophets of Baal go and they're like, all right, we'll go first. <laughs> so they begin to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And they're praying and they get so into it emotionally, they start cutting themselves. They're weeping. They're screaming out to their God. At one point, Elijah's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe you should like knock. I don't know, like he literally, that's in the Bible, he literally says something along those lines, and, and the prophets of Baal, they cry out to God, their God, they cry out to their God, they cry out to their God, and guess what happens? It's pretty incredible what happens. Nothing. Nothing happens. They cry out to their God, oh, I didn't tell you, this is an important part of the story, I didn't tell you what they were praying for. This is, this is what the, the Elijah suggested. We will both build an altar. Okay? You have an altar to your God. I'll have an altar to my God. We will sacrifice a large animal and we'll put it on those altars. And as we pray... We're going to pray for our God to miraculously set that altar on fire. That's a, big, that's a big prayer. That's big faith. Like some people have a hard time lighting one of those automatic gas grills, like with the little thing, and like, it doesn't work. They're like, let's just pray and see if it spontaneously combusts. So the prophets of Baal, they cry out to their God all day, all day, all day. Nothing happens. Then Elijah goes to God. He says, God, show these prophets of Baal who you are. Show them that you have power. In fact, at this moment, he had servants come and pour jugs of water all over the wood and all over the sacrifice to make it so that no matter what happens, if this light's on fire, we can see this was clearly the power of God. And when he finishes praying, the Bible says that fire came down from heaven. Not only ignited the altar, but burned up the sacrifice and lapped up all the water that was laying around on the ground. How does something like that happen? It happened because Elijah prayed. I don't know if you believe in all the fanciful things of the Bible. I think it's really easy for us in our postmodern era to um, just kind of say that you know, some of the things of the Bible are kind of like figurative. They're like metaphors. They're not real. But if there's a God who's able to create the universe and interact with our lives, and then he comes to us and says, you can speak to me, and you can ask me for things, I'm inclined to believe that it's possible. One of the things that brings me the most confidence in prayer is when I look not only to the Bible, but I can see that in my own life, God has answered prayer. Like, I could think of all kinds of situations where, um, man, like in my family where, where my wife and I were talking about finances, and we just, we didn't have the money to make the bills that time, you know? Like, you've been there? And we didn't tell anybody about the need, but we just began to pray about it. And that suddenly, out of nowhere, 
a check comes from grandma that we weren't expecting or some refund that we didn't remember that we had mailed in or, or suddenly some extra work pops up for me to do. And all of a sudden, boom, not only do we get the money to cover the need, but it's down to the penny exactly how much. We, anybody ever experienced something like that? That's like one of the most common. I see a lot of hands up just so everybody knows. That's one of the most common things where prayer seems to be active. God says, trust me with your physical things and I will show you my power. I've seen it in other people's life, like in health things. The first time I ever saw the power of prayer uh, in my own like, presence, like I was there and I saw something, I was in high school, and uh, I had a friend who was a, a, this really, she was a, a really good softball player, and she had gotten a scholarship to play softball at a college, and uh, it was the summer between her senior year of high school and her freshman year of college, and she was all amped up going to play softball. And uh, so we get, we get uh, we're hanging out one day, a bunch of us, and we're playing a game. I think it was like a pickup game of basketball, and she just twisted her ankle. In fact, she just shattered some bones in her ankle, devastated, because she was going to be in school on a full-ride scholarship to play ball. But now she can hardly walk. She goes to the doctor. They take the x-rays. They're like, yeah, this is bad. You're probably going to need surgery. So they schedule a time later for her to come back for surgery. Meanwhile, a group of us are together, and I, I think I was like 15 years old at the time, and so uh, I, I'm not going to say that I led the charge in the prayer warrior thing that was happening. But I remember coming around with a bunch of really faithful Christian people, and they said, listen, you got this surgery tomorrow, but let's pray over this thing. So we, we gathered around in this circle in this room, and, uh, and people began to pray. They literally had their hands on her ankle, and they were like, Lord, you are powerful. You are good. You are mighty. You have the ability to heal this. Will you please heal this? Give this girl her ability to, to, to walk again quickly so that she won't be out of the season. I remember as a, as a teenager going, this seems a little strong. Like, like, why don't we just pray for like a quick recovery, maybe for lots of Vicodin? Like, we could just pray that it won't hurt really bad. So, I mean, my faith wasn't there, and, and, but they were praying, praying, praying for this. The wildest, I'm not making this up, guys. The girl goes to the doctor the next day. They get some more tests. They take some x-rays to see the progress of the breaks. And what the doctors find is not only has some healing happened, but that basically there are no breaks at all. To the point where they were like, maybe we just had the wrong x-ray the first time. Like, this is not the same. A little bit of swelling, and that's all. She limped around for a few more weeks, and then she was back to good. I don't know how else you explain that. You can call it a coincidence. You can call it a medical mistake, or you can say God has got power, and people prayed in faith, and something happened. You weren't there. You didn't see it. But I'll tell you a story right out of this room right here. A few months ago, there was, uh, I, there's some details of the story that I'm going to keep private for the family, but I'll just say there was a little girl who had some serious medical issues, and a lot of you guys know about this, and uh, she, she had some, uh, there was some trauma that happened in her life. They caused some serious medical issues to the point where she had to be rushed in for an emergency uh, brain surgery. It was, it was not on her brain, but it was to uh, install uh, something to drain the fluid off of her brain, and so, man, it's like, it was terrifying. The doctors were looking at what was going on there and saying, listen, Whatever happens, I want you to be prepared. There, there may be some long-term effects for what's going on right now. There may be vision loss. There may be just some mental development that just doesn't happen. So you just need to be prepared for that. So the doctors tell the parents. And this family has a really strong network of Christian friends, a lot of you and people from outside the city. And so they put on Facebook and they call and they text and like pray for this baby. Pray that not only the surgery will go well, but there will be healing. My wife was there uh, the day after the surgery, and she said that the doctor walked in, examined the baby, and said, wow, this child has already recovered remarkably beyond what I would ever expect. It looks like things are going to be okay. 
And a few weeks later, they go back for a checkup, and the doctor says, okay, here's some words I thought I'd never say. This baby is completely normal. <laughs> Nothing seems to be wrong anymore. You could call it coincidence. You could call it something big crazy that the medical mistake happened. Or you could say, man, people prayed, and God heard them, and the world changed, at least for this family. When we look at the world, one of the biggest questions we have is, why doesn't God just fix all the problems? Like when I look at the news, when I hear, I, I do some ministry with a lot of you guys at Vigilant Hope. They, they work with impoverished people in Wilmington, and I was there a couple weeks ago at one of their Monday morning breakfasts, and I heard some stories about two of the guys in the core group of, of homeless men that come and hang out there. Two of the guys had recently been involved in nearly fatal accidents. One had been stabbed in the woods. Another one had been shot as a, as a bystander in a drive-by shooting downtown. These guys were essentially innocent, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, craziness happens. And we see stuff like that, and we see this baby that was sick, and we see good people who bad things happen to, and we're like, God, why don't you just do something? God, why don't you just do something? And, and the, the truth is, if I'm honest, I can stand right here, and I can say, I don't know. I don't know why God doesn't just do something. I don't know why God doesn't just come and wipe all the tears away and why didn't just make it all better. I've got some ideas. I've got some theories. I've got some things that I read in the Bible, but in my heart, I want to be like, yeah, God. <laughs> Seriously, like, did that really have to happen to that baby? Did that really have to happen to that country? Was that necessary? But then I'm reminded of a couple of things. The first thing is this, that the bad things that happen in the world, evil, they're a result of sin in the world. And God's very clear about that. Not just the physical things, because one, time, one thing happens, and then it causes a domino effect that causes another thing to happen, a bad thing to happen, a bad thing to happen, and then an innocent bystander gets shot in a drive-by shooting, right? Like, that's all a result of someone's sin, but even the disease in our bodies and the imperfections of this world all happen because God said, I created, I created a perfect world, but an evil and sin came in into the spiritual fabric of this world. It began to just completely erode the underbelly of what I created. And so we stand there and we're like, but God, why don't you do something? And God has to be looking back at us going, I have. I have done quite a few things. I want to build our faith for just a minute if you're someone who's asking those questions like I do a lot. I want to remind us of some of the things that God has done. Because God has done some things. The first thing that we can look at is this. That God came into this world as Jesus. God said, I see the sin in the world. I see the brokenness. And I know that the only solution for that is me. Let me come down and help with that. That's what we just spent the last three weeks of church talking about in our Christmas series. And that means so much. The fact that God would come down in flesh and experience life the way that we experience and say, I understand you. I know you. I got you. Trust me. It's hard for us to grapple with. It's hard for us to hold on to because sometimes it doesn't feel very tactile. It doesn't feel very tangible, does it? So that's why God gives us this next thing. God also gives us each other. He gives us the church for one thing. The Apostle Paul talks about the church and he's explaining what the church really is and he says that we are the body of Christ. Let me put that in more realistic terms. We are the hands and feet of God in this world, in this community. When someone needs a hug, we can hug them. When they have a financial need, we can go and help them meet that need. And all through the world, we see Christians impacting this world and culture because they say, 
We know the principles and the love of God, and we want to overflow that love into the world around us. Here at Venture, we call that being a love agent. We want to be love agents to the world, where we take the love that God's pouring into our life and let it overflow into the world around us. God, what are you going to do about it? I sent Jesus, and I've given you each other. But there's one more thing God has given us. God has given us the ability to pray. He says, you need something? Come ask me, because I love you, and I want to know. I love what God says in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, He says to a prophet named Jeremiah, and he talks about prayer. Let me read this to you. Jeremiah just kind of hears this, and he writes it down. It says, while Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And this is what the Lord says. This is God talking, okay? He says, He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. This is really cool. When you hear God talking in the Bible, whether it's through a prophet or an angel or something like that, he very often announces himself. He kind of introduces himself. Like if a really famous person came into this room today, if Bono came in or Gwen Stefani comes in, Bono would walk in and he wouldn't be like, hey, mates, I'm Bono from the you know, platinum recording artist U2. Like yeah, I'm famous. But we, a lot of us would just be like, that's Bono, that's Bono. He would have no introduce, introduction needed. People know who he is. God really needs no introduction. But I love how he gives himself an introduction. Like, yeah, you, you know, you might have seen my work. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I'm the Lord who made the earth. You, you might have seen it. <laughs> you know, the Lord who formed it and established it. Maybe you know who I am. The Lord is my name. And then in verse 3, he gives us this awesome call. He says, call to me. I'm the Lord who created the earth. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I think in this verse, we get some serious incentive to pray. Like in asking the question, what happens when we pray, I think maybe a more important question to ask is, why pray? Why pray? When there's other ways we can deal with life, why pray? I think Jeremiah gives us a few. The first one is this. The first one is that God gives us an invitation to pray. He says, call to me. Call to me. You got that friend uh, that you call them, but no matter when you call, they never answer the phone? (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry if I'm that friend for you. I didn't mean to. But like you have a better relationship with their voicemail than you do with them in reality, and you're like, you just leave them whole messages. And, but it's one thing to say, I've I've got a friend. I've got a friend who who I can call, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, like, for example, um, I've got a friend who's got a swimming pool, right? And they say, hey, i got a swimming pool. Sometime I'll invite you over. You can come swim in it. That's nice. You're like, ooh, one day I'm going swimming. But how that, you, you've had this friend, right? Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> the friend that goes, hey, look, man, i got a, I got a pool. Anytime you want to swim, just give me a call, right? It's even better when they, the friend's like, hey, listen, here's the deal. Open gate policy. Just anytime you want to, come on over. You don't even need to call. There's towels out in the cabinet out there. Just have fun in my pool, right? That's this open invitation, and and it's joyful, and we know what to do with it. And this is what God says to us. I'm the creator of the earth. Call to me. Just call to me. I've got an open door policy. Please let me know what you need. And then he gives us this second thing, which is kind of the second incentive. Why pray? He promised he will answer. Call to me. And I will answer. I won't be like that friend who sends you to voicemail every time. 
I won't be like that friend who's kind of always talking about, one day we should hang out. Again, I'm sorry if I'm that friend to you. I'm not God. But God says, call to me, and I will answer you. You know, God's promises are huge. We spent a couple weeks talking about the promises of God and how they led to Jesus coming into the world. God's track record for promise keeping is pretty good. Like, it's like a thousand percent. God keeps his promises. And he says, call to me, and I will answer you. Why pray? He invites us to pray. Why pray? Because he will answer. Why pray? One more. I've heard this last session called, he calls us to a divine adventure. He says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things. Things that will blow your mind. You're praying about this relationship? Listen, you have no idea how good I got it for you if you'll just trust me. You're trying to pray about your finances? Listen, I got a plan for you, but you need to call on me. Don't lean on yourself. Don't just lean on your network of friends. Make sure you're calling to me. I will answer you, and I will show you great and unsearchable things, things that you do not even understand. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, he says this, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. And seek it, and you'll find it. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For whoever asks, receives, and whoever seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We're going to dig into that passage a little bit more over the next couple of weeks and, and some, some of those same concepts. But here's the thing. God wants to hear from us. Why pray? Because when we pray, God shows up with exactly what we need. And sometimes it's an answered prayer through a healed medical need. And sometimes it's an amount of money. And sometimes it's just a little whisper that says, just have peace and wait, because now's not the time. And sometimes he answers us and says, no, dummy, that's not what you need. I got something much better if you would just wait. Why pray? Because when we pray, God shows up. And he shows up with exactly what we need. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, I love what Paul says to the church there. And he just, he's just talking about life. And this is something I think we all need to hear. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Like, don't stress out. Don't freak out. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What's going on in your life right now? As you look at 2016 and you see it laying out before you and you're like, man, I just don't know if I can handle another year. Or I don't know what's going on with my family right now. I don't know what's happening with my marriage right now. I can't seem to get control of what's happening with my kids right now. I can't manage what's happening with my finances right now. I can't manage what's going on in my head right now. Like, I'm freaking out about stuff and I don't even understand it. I hate my job. <laughs> God says, call to me. And I will answer you. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, present your requests and thanksgiving to God. What about some dreams and hopes that you have? Lord, this year I hope I find Mr. Right, Miss Right. This year, God, I, I want to get that promotion that I've been working so hard for. God, this year I've been in school and I'm really working hard to get this degree and I just, I want to do everything right. I mean, there's all these good and positive things we pray about too, right, that we could pray about. God says, present them to me. Present them to me. Don't stress out about them. Don't worry about the things you can't control. 
but lay them before my feet. Why pray? Because when we pray, God shows up. Now, you may have lots of other questions. Like, how do I pray? What do I say? When do I do it? What about when it seems like God is telling me no, and I'm not okay with that? That's what we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. But I want to close the day with this question. You've seen what can happen when people pray. I want to ask you this question. What would happen if you prayed? What would happen this week, this month, this year, if you started dedicating time to saying, God, I'm not, but you are. I don't, but you do. I can't, but you can. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not understand. What would happen if we prayed? I'm going to pray, but what I want to do as we close is I'm going to share a prayer that Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to look it up, you can. It's still a prayer. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. It's not going to be in the screen, but this is a prayer that Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus. We just did that series, Battleground, a few months ago. And, and uh, this comes from that book, the book of Ephesians that we studied in that series. And I'm going to read this, and then I'm just going to close this in a few words. And I want to encourage us all to move forward and pray with God. Let's go to God. This is from Ephesians 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, Venture Church, with the power through his spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that this church family will be rooted and established in love, that we may have power together with one another to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so now, to you, Lord, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us. Lord, to you be the glory, in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.